Welcome to Heart Shaped Pod, a Nirvana fan podcast, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Travis Clark. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Heart Shaped Pod, episode number two. Mm. I am Adam Todd Brown. I'm Travis Clark. We're your goddamn hosts. We fucking sure are. We sure as shit are. Don't question it. Yeah, why would you? I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like people do that. Yeah, yeah. People, people, do, yeah. Should they really be hosting this? Yes, thing? we should. You know why? Because yeah. it was our fucking idea, and yeah. we, went, when we went with it. Yeah, we did it first. That's how it fucking works. Yeah. It's ours now. Yeah, you judgmental dick. God. <laughs> These fuck? people. I can't believe it. Uh, anyway. Which will actually tie in, I think, a bit to uh, to this theme of this it, episode. It will. Yeah. We are we're we're gonna we decided we're gonna split these episodes up a little. We're gonna do like a, a history episode every mm-hmm. once in a while, yeah. which is what this will be. We're talking about Kurt Cobain's childhood and how it played into the Civil War. Right, right, right. Yeah, it was a very big, a pivotal moment. Huge, yeah. huge moment, turning point. The Pacific Northwest will rise again. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but probably not. <laughs> Just, oh, they're all too sad up there. Uh, they really are. They really are, yeah. yeah. Yeah, That that's one of the things, not really that I learned, I kind of already knew that, but... I want to say, when you asked me to do this with you, I was incredibly excited because I'm a big Nirvana fan, as we talked about in the first episode. But the encyclopedic knowledge that you have is impressive. I mean, it's really amazing. Yeah, what's when I worked for Cracked, I would write stuff about Nirvana sometimes. And I'm such a big Nirvana fan that I just kind of assume everyone who likes Nirvana knows everything about them. Like, I, j- I just assume everyone who, who ever really got into them just consumed every book and read every fucking interview. And what's funny is, I was like, until we started talking, I was like, yeah, I, I pretty much know all the shit. And then you're like, this. And I went, okay, I don't know that. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I brought up Cracked because I one time put in a column, I, I put the story about him going on Headbangers Ball God, and I love wearing that the appear. yellow gown. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is Nirvana shit that everybody knows. And someone Well, it's a ball, Ricky, so I had yeah. to wear a gown. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> and uh, the next day, someone put that part of the article on the Today I Learned section on Reddit. And I was like, I thought everybody knew this already. You, you know, I was wrong. I'm going to guess that either might have been too young at the time, to, or maybe not even born at the time that that happened. Yeah. Or also, too, I learned, even from going through that, not everybody stayed up to watch Headbangers Ball like I did. Yeah, weird. I did. I was obsessed with it. And when Kurt was just putting the business to Ricky Rackman, loved it. Couldn't yeah. have loved it more. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're uh we're going uh we're talking about Kurt Cobain's childhood. There's a lot of information out there about it. A lot of what we're talking about today comes from the biography Heavier Than Heaven, which was written by Charles Cross, probably the definitive Nirvana biography. But you know what's interesting about all of these things? It's almost like the founding of a religion, you know? Yeah. Because all of these things become little stories and and legends and myths that are passed around and then they get written down into a book and then and now yeah. we're going to talk about them it's 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 really the, I would be I wouldn't be surprised if 100 years from now there's a you know a, nir- a Nirvana religion yeah i mean yeah. supposedly there was one started in 96 they started a church yeah. but i think that was just some dick in portland trying to get fizzled famous. out surprisingly yeah, yeah. enough surprisingly yeah yeah who the, surprisingly the church just uh uh, up and disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that really struck me 
going back and reading this book again, you know, I didn't realize it, but this book came out 16 years ago. Oh, okay. 2001. Reading it now, there's so much more, I think, insight to be had, especially the childhood stuff and how it played into his it, music. Yeah. And it, it, in it, ways I didn't realize. Me either. And I didn't realize how autobiographical right. he was, really. Because, I mean, you think you, some of the lyrics. I think that were so appealing about them is that you could interpret them kind of the way that you wanted as they applied to you. But right. there was also this kind of universal truth to them based on this childhood that he had. That yeah. I think a lot of us at that time maybe didn't go through the exact same thing, but had something similar going on. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the same way his his music or Nirvana's music really kind of hit on a lot of, you know, like you said, he was almost like a jingle writer. Like yeah. it, it had a really broad appeal I think the the things, the autobiographical parts of his songs were kind of the same thing. Like he he was just speaking to kind of a general feeling of being disaffected and just kind of being an outsider and, you know, broken families. Like those were like divorce was such a for some reason, it seemed like it became a really big thing in the 80s. Yeah, that we were the kind of the generation of broken homes. I mean, yeah, I think. Previous to early '80s, maybe even mid '80s, you just stayed together and hated the person, right? You know, right. Uh, doesn't seem like that was the case by the time we became kids. Yeah, definitely not. And it, I, I think that's that's part of Kurt Cobain's appeal. Also, is just that he speaks to a a really broad kind of feeling that a lot of people can relate to, even if it's not the exact same. Thing. He, he was like, you know what? Uh, this is a weird correlation to make. He was like the Tyler Durden, like he was the pretty broken version of you that you yeah. wanted to be out there in the world. Yeah, like yeah. it was. He was pretty and and could do all the things that you wanted to do. It's like you. It's like we invented him to right, to, to right. put all of our sadness on to go. Yeah, that. The, but like that. But the guy who looks like he could be a model but chose not to be. The, yeah, yeah. The 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 guy that would inspire a band like Bush to happen with an actual model. Oh uh, God. That guy. I want to be that guy. Have you heard Bush's new song? I, I, I'll tell you, no, I haven't. It's one of the worst things <laughs> I mean, I've it, heard. As opposed to the other Bush catalog? Yeah, but it's like, that's the thing. If I'm pointing out how bad a Bush song is, you know it's bad. Yeah. Because they're generally just not a great band. No. But they have this song called Mad Love. No. Yeah, I'm yeah, exactly. Out. I'm already not in. And in the chorus, he just goes, I still got mad love for you, babe. No, like, he that's didn't. The whole... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gavin Rosdale, the pretty tennis player, wants to tell us that he still has mad love for Gwen Stefani. Gwen Stefani? I'm assuming. Is that what we're thinking? Yeah. Who's with Blake Shelton now? Sure. Because, you know, when your marriage doesn't work out, fuck your coworker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's how it works. That's that that fixes everything. <laughs> Either that or have a kid. <laughs> or if you can do both, fuck your coworker and have a kid. Cuz yeah, isn't she yeah. having a kid with isn't she having a Shelton baby? Is she? I mean, I feel like she shouldn't be able to, but uh Yeah, it shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? Uh to quote uh young Kurt Cobain, there should be laws for breeding. <laughs> exactly. There should be there laws. Should. All right, so uh, let's get into some of Kurt's background. We'll we'll pause and make it about us every once in a while. Well, I mean, as that's, we go through this, if I learned anything from Kurt, yeah, exactly. it's learn how to make it about you. Exactly. <laughs> so he was born February twentieth, nineteen sixty seven, in Aberdeen, Washington. Population nineteen thousand. I mean, that's like that's like a beginning of a horror movie. 
amount of people. You know, like yeah, like like yeah. small town, small sleepy town, only nineteen thousand people, and a creature. You know, it's yeah. really kind of how that setting starts. Yeah, it's it's a lumber town, lots of logging. I mean, assuming That's all most, the trees have grown back, that they aside cut down. from from my knowledge of the Pacific Porth, uh, Northwest, which is just kind of going through it a few times, it's really Portland and Seattle, and everything else is logging, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, is that your experience? Yeah, kind of. It's kind yeah. of like New York, where yeah, New York is there's n- Portland and Seattle, and everything else is yeah. logging. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> have you ever uh, been to Washington? I've been to Seattle. Yeah, I went to Seattle because of. The big, I bought into the whole Seattle Sound thing in the early 90s. Yeah. And I was like planning this road trip with my friends. I was like, we're all going to drive up to Seattle. And then I ended up having a buddy who was moving to Seattle. Uh, and so I offered to drive him up there. And uh, I was trying to set a land speed record from going to Los Angeles to Seattle in, I, would, I was shooting for 10 hours. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> didn't make it. Uh, I drove very, very fast. I suppose. Uh, got pulled over by a cop, and the cop wanted to know what was in the Heineken box in the back of my car. Oh, shit. And when I said, an iguana, he said, all right, out of the car. <laughs> and um, he was about to cuff me until he looked into the box and saw that there was, in fact, an iguana <laughs> inside a Heineken box. Why was there an iguana in my the box? My friend I was moving up there had a pet iguana, and for whatever reason, he decided a Heineken box was the best transport sure. for an iguana. Iguana likes to party. Yeah, he does. <laughs> but what's funny is that the cop, he looked at me, he goes, I honestly thought you were being a smartass. And I was like, <laughs> That's a weird answer, though, for like being a smartass. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. I would have. That wouldn't just come to your head. Right. So we ended up getting to Seattle, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 hours later. I stayed there with him for a while, and I got to meet these new friends that he was going to be hanging out with. And it was essentially a bunch of early 20-somethings with a 45 to almost 50-year-old man who just kind of partied with them. It was really sad. Nice. He mostly would just drink beer and pass out on their lazy boy and occasionally wake up and go, fire it up. <laughs> fired up and that was his way of saying hand him the bong that was sure, his sure. yeah then he'd pass out again and then it was just real sad like th- i didn't see any bands uh <laughs> I, I, I didn't find the next nirvana or Soundgarden. uh the couple of girls that were cute had no interest in me i got into a de- <laughs> i got into an argument with them about the nutritional value of eggs that's sure, sure that was sure. yeah as as, as you would expect does right yeah and then at one point i drove to the space needle and was surprised that you could just walk up to it like it's just in the ground Oh really? Or it was back then. Twenty have like years an ago. information center. Uh, they do, but, it up at the but you know, like when you think of something like that, I guess it's kind of the same for the Eiffel Tower. Like you can just walk up to it and see it planted in the ground. Oh yeah. I just you can walk up to the base of the Space Needle and just touch it. Just like it's just fondle it a little yeah. bit. Fondle they might the have shaft. put a gate around it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want to get to the head, you got to pay the money. That look, we all know exactly. how this works. Yeah, we yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've never been to Washington. I had a a trip to Seattle planned at one point. Same reason cuz you got into Yeah, the, yeah. I was just we were going to the Pacific Northwest anyway and I was like shit, I'm definitely going to Seattle when we do that. And my flight got delayed by 4 hours and it fucked everything up just enough that I couldn't go to Seattle. Because I really wanted to go to the Experience Music Project, which I'm sure would be a huge letdown. I was talking to somebody about this recently. My buddy Rivers Langley. Do you know Rivers? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, he said it, it is very much a disappointment. Really? And that they've now added this, like, they're just trying to get people to show up there. So it's like, yeah, 
well, we can't let you really play Jimi Hendrix music because we don't have the rights to it. Uh, so you can't let that. But also, Bigfoot might be real. Like, <laughs> they're just trying to get anybody through the fucking door. That sounds pretty great, actually. Yeah. Can I play Bigfoot songs? Yeah. Is the question. Yeah, Littlefoot. Yeah. That uh, was uh, not a song. Yeah, I, I, uh, I did go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame once. In and, Cleveland? Yeah. I actually thought that was kind of cool. I was driving, I was moving across country from New York to San Francisco, and we stopped in Cleveland because we just took our time driving, and we were going to spend a day in Cleveland. And I actually liked Cleveland so much that we stayed an extra day. Whoa. Yeah. I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, walked past the Cleveland Indians Stadium mm. on the way. Guess what their motto was that year? Uh, we're not racist. What if? What if? Like, what a sad fucking slogan for a sports team. But also, too, with the Cleveland Indians, like, what if we didn't steal their land? Yeah. Like, is that the idea? <laughs> like, yeah, what if exactly. they were allowed to still be the indigenous people? Speaking of back to Seattle, though, uh-huh. uh, one of the things that I remember about it being growing up mostly in sunny Southern California is that it is incredibly gray and rainy. That is yes. not, that's not made up at all. And everybody... Uh, I don't even believe it's by choice. I think it's just because of the lack of sunlight. Everyone is very white. Oh, yeah. Very, very white. Yeah, I imagine that's got to at least be in part because of the the lack of sun. Yeah. There's not a lot of vitamin D happening in Seattle. Yeah. I would go insane. I I can't handle rain. I think it has proven that it kind of didn't really work out great for all of these guys. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so let's get back to the 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 Cobain story. His parents, Don and Wendy Cobain, they were aged twenty one and nineteen respectively when Kurt was born. And they were married at that point? Yes. Or they were like, Oh, we had a baby, we should get married. Um, I don't remember. I I believe they were married. No, yeah, 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 yeah. They actually when they were in their teens. They went to another state so they could marry oh. without parental consent. That sounds like something that would happen in a town of 19,000 people. Yeah. 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 You just kind of go, well, I don't have a lot to pick from here. and You <laughs> seem okay. So let's go. Exactly. Yeah. They were like the alternative uh, Capulets and Montagues. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sort of. Star-crossed and it, lovers. Yeah. Because I don't feel like they were really that lovely with each other. Didn't seem like they liked yeah. each other much. Uh, from from what we we covered researching this, what what struck me was I hear now like twenty one and nineteen they're already married have their first kid and that seems so crazy but back then that was just what you did sure because like what just, that would have been early eighties uh, well he was born in oh sixty seven sorry yeah. right right sorry I'm thinking of him being a kid and I don't know why I did that yes in the sixties <laughs> yes absolutely yeah. small town you absolutely would be married in the by sixty seven. Yeah, so I mean, it was it was normal back then. I mean, then. Woodstock hadn't even happened. Oh yeah, yeah. You know? What year was Woodstock? Sixty nine. Shout out to Portugal, the man. New album Woodstock in stores. Oh, now. I was like, I don't think they played Woodstock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they were at that one. They're a great band, but I don't know if they did that festival. <laughs> so they, uh, I thought this was really interesting. Uh, shortly after Kurt turned two years old, he created an imaginary friend named Bada. And this is one of those things that I thought everyone who was a Nirvana fan was I didn't know with. this until you put... This blew my mind. Yeah, he actually... His suicide note was addressed to Bada, uh, which he was an imaginary friend. And I fucking love this detail so much. Uh, Kurt's parents eventually became concerned over how attached he was to this imaginary friend. So when Kurt's uncle got drafted and sent to Vietnam... They told Kurt that his imaginary friend got drafted, too. 
Just the first in a long line of really shitty things his parents did. But also, too, look, having freedom is about sacrifice. You know, you can't. Exactly. Your imaginary friend, you know, he got called up. You know, you yeah. got Yeah. Your imaginary friend's fighting communism now. Sorry, <laughs> he Kurt. sure is. That's <laughs> such a great. And I like that they waited until someone actually got drafted. But I, I, I'm trying to put my mind around like him going with it. It's his imaginary friend. Yeah. He gets to go, no, he didn't. He's well, right they, here. Yeah, they said to some degree he was very skeptical. <laughs> I would hope so. Which, yeah. And like, did so when I'm assuming the uncle came back, what did they tell him the imaginary friend died there? Well, I just, you know, when Bada came back, he had that thousand yard stare. He, <laughs> it was real hard. Bada on the 4th of July. <laughs> That's the movie. Yeah. It's the movie we need. Imaginary Tom Cruise played him. <laughs> um, what I thought was interesting about that, I didn't know anything about that. And then that line in Lithium suddenly makes a lot more sense because today I found my friends there yeah. in my head. Yeah, it was. There's a audio recording. It's in one of the documentaries, but you can actually hear him talking to. To Bada? Yeah, he hears and he says something and hears an echo. And he's like, Is that Bada talking to me? And he starts saying, like, as like a you. teenager, no, or like no, a no, kid, like, kid. How weird oh. would that? Yeah, he was twenty three at the time. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. Have, he did address the final note to him. Yeah, that's a good. I point. mean, so it's not like he wasn't in communication. Yeah, you know. Yeah, what a what maybe a weird if story. Bada had gotten the help he needed after the war, <laughs> we'd still have Kurt. You know, because that's a downward cycle that you can bring with yeah, you. You know, yeah. and others around Just you also dragged him scared. down with him. Really sad. Which is just, they're doing the deer hunter thing. <laughs> they're sitting there playing Russian roulette together. Your turn. Your turn. Oh, that's how it happened. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, the, uh, another thing, definitely a sign of the times. When Kurt was two and a half, the family moved into their first home at 1210 East 1st Street, if you're a landmark hunter in Aberdeen. Uh, they paid $7,950 for it. Total? Total. That wasn't the like. We're interested in this house. Here is our yeah. Here's our earnest money. I mean, uh, not to. I'm not trying to in any way brag, but the the home that I I'm a homeowner, uh, or, or I'm at least somebody for the next thirty years who has to go. I, I promise I'll pay you. Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, I had to put more than that down as a check just to say yes, I'm interested in the house. Oh yeah, for sure. So the fact that that's an entire house. Yeah. But that would have been in the late '60s of yeah late yeah. late really late '60s. Which, you know, house in Aberdeen now, probably... Probably 14,000. 17,000, something <laughs> yeah, like that. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Inflation, man. I mean, but that, that's... If, I mean, if you want, like, the nice house. <laughs> exactly. You know, or, you know. Yeah. Something fancy. Something without wheels. Something not in a neighborhood sometimes called Felony Flats, which is where Kurt Cobain's uh, <laughs> first home... Flats. Yeah. That makes sense, because I would imagine a lot of ex-cons just start logging. Oh yeah, for because sure. there's probably a, not a lot of background checks. Like, well, it's I, it's probably similar to what happened in North Dakota because they found all of those oil like oil shale reserves that uh, they started basically fracking in North Dakota. And there's this town called Williston. If you look at a crime map of North Dakota, the entire state is blank, and then there's one red dot on this tiny shithole town called Williston, which is like the goddamn Wild West. 
because they got all of these oil jobs, which like they pay crazy money, but most people don't want to do that work. It's very mm. risky, uh, dangerous work. So they had this huge influx of like drifters and just the dregs of society flocking to North Dakota to get these jobs. And it just turned into like this lawless hellhole. It's fascinating. Oh, think of the great songwriters we're going to get out of that town. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we just got to wait another <laughs> generation. So much good country music <laughs> coming out of Williston. So good. So yeah, the uh, he he once described the neighborhood as white trash posing as middle class. Which I I mean, the, he must have been a kid when he said that. Or was that uh, or not, a teener? Teen? I think he yeah. was. I think that was from an interview. Oh, okay. Like a a post fame. Well, you know interview. what in. In theory, he never really got to not be a kid. 27 is not that old. Yeah, we mentioned that on yeah. last episode. So yeah. even to think, if he even said that once Nirvana broke, like that's a pretty almost Hemingway-ish way of describing something. Yeah, like, for it's sure. A, it's a very, it's it's a, it's an auteur's way of describing where you came from. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, uh, the neighborhood was just south of the Wishka River, which is a big part of Kurt Cobain's mythology muddy banks of yeah Yeah. muddy banks of the wishka was their uh the live album that came out after he died there's that rumor or myth which we'll get to in in a minute about him living under a bridge oh right which i love this yeah i love it which wasn't wasn't exactly true. well yeah it's it's interesting but we we should mention he was jesus an only child i mean look (laughs) everything is debatable all debatable (laughs) shout out to craig christ Have you ever heard that Stephen Lynch song? No, I Craig Christ. It's about Jesus's brother Craig. Oh, it's really fucking. Well, when weird. I was a kid, I met Jimmy Christ. <laughs> Jimmy Christ. Jimmy. I met him in front of a church. He said to me, "No, you can go in there. You can believe in Jesus, or you can believe in me, <laughs> Jimmy Christ." <laughs> I'd have been like, "I'm gonna go with Jesus, Jimmy." Well, I was actually oddly fascinated, and then he. <laughs> Then he said he could break into my mom's car for a dollar because we'd locked the keys in there. And I was like, oh, sure. Well, if you're a figure, if you got some of that Christ in you, you could just wave a hand. Yeah. Just you know, I don't do think you something. need a coat hanger. Yeah. But fucking shout Jimmy out to Christ. Jimmy Christ. <laughs> probably not with us anymore. Probably yeah. not. So, uh, yeah, Kurt had a sister, Kimberly, who was born when he was three. Unbelievable. Seriously. It all clacked. It all cra- nope. That's not the word. All clacked. It all clacked. <laughs> that's where it all clicked and clapped and cracked all at the same time. Uh, that that's what Ben a son's about. Oh yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. I just thought. To me, it's like oh, I make up stories and I make up things to write songs about, and it's like oh, that's about your fucking sister. Yeah. Jesus, dude. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. It's what a great song too. Right. So this was a uh, oh that they, they also. Uh, one of the big uh, kind of, uh, I don't want to say highlights of his childhood. I don't know. Like one of the bigger aspects of his childhood. Bullet points? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we if you really kind of put it into play later. <laughs> he, uh, he was very artistic. He uh, pursued, he was uh, encouraged by his grandmother, Iris Cobain, to pursue art. Did a lot of painting, a lot of sculptures. And this would be a, kind of a big thing. Yeah, throughout Nirvana's career, he did. I don't know if people know, but he did pretty much all of the artwork for all of their albums and also. some of their merch too. Right, because right. I was going through the book of journals of his that I have, which are basically just scanned notebooks, and it, he's like drawing out what the shirt should be. He's drawing out, you know, yeah. the artwork stuff for albums, for shirts, 
there's even stuff in there pre 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 them breaking about uh, what would end up being in the uh, heart shaped box video. You're right, with right. The little girl with the, the basically the clan thing getting blown off her head and falling in a puddle yeah. and becoming black. And that journals book is really interesting in that way because you see how much planning went into right. a lot of this and the way he was able to make it seem really fresh and spontaneous. Uh, I mean, it's definitely a credit to him that but, he was able to to put this much forethought into things without it coming off contrived or planned. But don't you think that that's kind of the art of the whole thing? Is that if you're just someone who could show up and you write Smells Like Teen Spirit in five minutes, like, okay, that's cool and all. But don't you think the, the work that goes into crafting something that maybe seems simplistic right. to some people, but is really like thoughtful? I think that's... Yeah, yes. it's like yeah. he was like a one-man conspiracy, basically. Right, and right. I think it's also why we still resonate with his music and and want to talk about that band is that right. they weren't just a group of kids. They certainly had a bratty type attitude, but they were serious about it. Right, they rehearsed a lot. They were serious about the whole thing, and I think this goes back to his childhood of like wanting to latch onto something. Right? Yeah, wanting to have a thing that was his. Right, right. Yeah, there's a, a lot of uh, abandonment issues that you, well, come I up. Well, I mean, your this, imaginary friend gets drafted. I mean, yeah. <laughs> your mom and dad... Yeah, he can't even yeah. keep a fucking imaginary yeah, friend amazing. around. Mom and dad end up hating each other. He has to move around a lot. And so the one thing is like, well, I created you know, my buddy who's going to... Oh, he's in Vietnam? <laughs> come on, guys! Bada has a heroin problem now, <laughs> He Kurt. sure does. That's how it, maybe that's how maybe it that's, he comes back from Vietnam... All gacked out on heroin. Oh, buddy, you got to try this. <laughs> You're going to love it, man. Kurt's like, how did you get this through the airport? <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> Bada's got you covered. Hey, we love you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, the art, I would kill to own the painting that is the cover of Incesticide. You were talking about this when we were just kind of going over what we were going to discuss with this. His art isn't really... There's people who know about it, but it's not one of the things that people really know right, him for. Right, which I hate because like John Lennon, like he does any <laughs> fucking bullshit line drawing with a Sharpie on a napkin and it's selling for $75,000 somewhere. Right. What do you want for the incesticide painting? But didn't he 50 also, bucks, 100 right. bucks? Done. I'm in. You got it. Yeah. But he also did, like, didn't he do all the photos inside Incesticide, too? Like, yes. the baby dolls that are yeah, all kind of weird? And... He had this weird habit, I guess, or just this thing he did where he would buy doll parts huh. at Interesting. thrift stores. Yeah. <laughs> wonder, I wonder if that title will come up again. Mm, probably not. <laughs> he would buy these doll parts and cover them in clay and then bake them in an oven. And it gave them this, like, really creepy dead kind of look and on the back of the in utero album the the image which just looks like kind of a graphic design thing is actually uh, a bunch of those doll parts and i think like i, I don't remember there's like a collage inside it like right. it's like a whole what's something nailed to a board or am i, yeah, am I thinking I think something so. else yeah i can't i can't picture it right now but it uh, and also the cover that that anatomical model with the wings right was also he was for some reason super into anatomical and medical type stuff interesting and that 
that anatomical model with the wings was on stage for all of yeah. the their last shows. If you Google Kurt Cobain wings, you can see a bunch of really cool shots of him on stage. With where, the wings behind yeah, him. Where yeah, where he's positioned so it looks like he has wings. I mean, the second... I mean, well, the internet wasn't that, that popular when he passed away, but I feel like almost instantly those photos were the ones that were in magazines and yeah. posted up everywhere the second he was no longer with us. Yeah. So yeah, that's where the uh that's where the art stuff came from. Around the same time Kurt's grandparents are encouraging his art, his parents also start encouraging him to pursue music. His uh first instrument that was ever purchased for him was a Mickey Mouse drum kit. Shout out to Mickey Mouse. So cute. That's adorable. That is the cutest. I bet you that thing goes for a pretty penny now. Yeah, for sure. It'd be funny if, like, you know how musicians, like, there's always some musician who plays, like, a really shitty instrument, but does it so well that people are like, I want that shitty instrument Oh, you now. mean like the Univox High Flyer? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, how funny would it be if people were just playing Mickey Mouse drum kits on stage now? Like, this is how Kurt started, man. Dude, I just want to go back to roots. <laughs> you know, I just want to get back to the original sound. That's what I did when I was a kid, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. This, uh, uh, so... So far in Kurt's childhood, aside from the Bada thing, things are fine. Uh, this is a quote he gave in an interview with Spin Magazine in 1992. I had a really good childhood up until I was nine. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. dun. <laughs> and yeah, that's... Uh, what happened at nine? That's when his parents got divorced. Oh, okay. And that is also a huge kind of running theme throughout his music and especially in interviews. This divorce really wrecked him. Nine's a tough age to think of that. I mean, I would I would guess the Cobain household wasn't uh wasn't going swimmingly and then it then the, it ended, you know. Like, right. I would guess there was probably a lot of uh ripples and uh, undercurrent of unhappiness between the right but the the way people describe it as far as his reaction was yes the parents were fighting a lot and just generally not in that great of a relationship but he was still caught completely off guard when this happened apparently the mom just told the dad that she wanted a divorce and then just drove off into the night in a camaro like her reading this, I didn't. What I had never really gathered this, but his parents were real shitheads. Look, I'm gonna put this out there. This is my own philosophy in life. Uh, you can drive off into the middle of the night with a Camaro when you don't have a kid. You can exactly, absolutely yeah. go. I don't want to do this anymore and leave. And that's still kind of shitty, but that's right. You can do that when you have a kid. Guess what? Not that's yeah. You you owe it to the kid to at least be like. Mom and dad aren't going to stay together, and here's what happened. I'm not leaving you. I just hate your father, and you know whatever yeah. you know whatever the fucking conversation you're going to have with a nine year old is going to be. Yeah. not disappear in a fucking muscle car. Yeah, he he got none of that. His I'm going to guess not a new Camaro too. I'm going to guess no, kind of like sixties. Yeah, like yeah. a like a boogie nights rundown kind of <laughs> you know. Was the once great muscle the car family Camaro? They <laughs> described it as one. At one point in the book, they describe it as the family Camaro. No one has a family Camaro. Amazing. Come get my family Miata. There's <laughs> room for two and a half. Well, I mean that's a, that's a technical nuclear family, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, two and a half kids, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so yeah, his parents weren't abusive, but uh, well, the, maybe not his, by punching him, but. There's some mental shit going on, for yeah. sure. His his dad's 
chosen form of punishment instead of hitting was to take two fingers and just thump him in the temple when he was acting up or getting out dude, of line. Dude. Which is so much worse. Yeah, and then when you think about how he's not around anymore and the way that he chose to do I don't know, man. That's Yeah. It's grim. They also at one point told him if he wasn't good, he would get coal for Christmas instead of presents. And every year after that, gave him coal for Christmas with his presents, just as if to say, it can really happen, motherfucker. Oh, I thought that was like, you weren't really that good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Whenever he was bad, they would say, you know, you might just get coal for Christmas. Would he get fucking Krampus for parents? (laughs) Yeah, there, there there are some crazy stories. But this also is one of those, one of the early instances of him doing a thing that he would do a lot throughout his life, uh, which was embellish these stories from his childhood to make his backstory seem a little more interesting. I hate to be this guy who does this because I talk about it too much and people get mad, but The Leftovers is one of my favorite shows that's ever existed. Sure. And there's a line in one of the episodes where uh, they're talking about something and uh, the, one of the main characters, Carrie, is, is uh, or sorry, Nora, is yelling at, at this nun and she goes, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm ju- it's just a better story. Mm. And to me, it's like that's... Yeah. Kurt knew that kind of idea early on, I right. feel. Is that... Is this truly what happened? What his motivations were, I don't know. But a better story always sells. Yeah. You know? And I think he knew that making his own myth was part of the package of becoming famous. Right, right. You know? Was, and you get to be in control of it. You can be, if you're wearing the fucking shroud of gloom about you, you should probably make a pretty gloomy myth. Right. And you should embellish or enhance the parts that make it sound like, yeah, that's why I'm the saint of angst or whatever you want to call me. Right. Like I'm, I'm look, look what I went through. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, uh, one of those examples of in at least one interview, he tells this story about the coal, but he said he gets it, it every year, right? And well, what, he told it as one year he just got coal, which was never the case. They always gave him presents also, but they just gave him coal as a little side gag because why not fuck with your nine-year-old kid sure because you know every turn a nine-year-old totally gets sarcasm oh yeah for sure (laughs) for sure they're born with it look i'm not defending the cobains as parents but i will say there's something about having a tortured youth that does lead to good art i don't know yeah you know yeah uh, for sure not saying that you should torture your kid but no you know but just don't be so responsible (laughs) Yeah. What are you paying bills and shit yeah. for? Put that kid through some hardships. Right. Get him on the streets. Get in that Camaro, disappear in the night. <laughs> the family Camaro. <laughs> I would love it if that if they somehow converted the Camaro to only run on coal. You know, like it's just the sad wagon goes off into the night and no one knows why. So apparently after this divorce happened, uh, Kurt for a while went and lived with his dad. And uh, Was that also in Aberdeen or was that in Olympia? Um, I think that was also in Aberdeen. Because well, they actually, they lived in a smaller town. He was born in, the hospital he was born in was in Aberdeen, Aberdeen, but they lived in a smaller town, something like Monsanto. No, that's the No, seed I know, people. but it's, a, it's like similar <laughs> to the seed people. And uh, he didn't move back to Aberdeen until he was, uh, I think, 14. And he was a sophomore in high school when he went back to Aberdeen. 
I, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but I'm just curious if you know this. Did he and Courtney know each other as as teenagers, or did they not meet till later? I think they met later. Because she grew up in Olympia, which isn't that far from Aberdeen as I understand it. Yeah. I'm not sure what the... Okay. Geographically, just I'm right. not sure how far it is. Just but. wondering how much she was trying to rip him off. Like, just how, oh, yeah. how soon did that start? <laughs> I think it was, it was post-Bleach. Gotcha. Um... So, yeah, he had a really uneasy relationship with his father, which was a huge issue in his songs. Dude, you you have the quote in there, right, that, that he did about I wanted to have a father, but instead... Yeah, uh, from Serve the Servants on In Utero, which is the opening song on that album. Uh, some lines from that. I tried hard to have a father, but instead I had a dad. Good Lord. I I just want you to know that I don't hate you anymore. There's nothing I could say that I haven't thought before, which... That line is mm. shitty because that's him basically saying, yeah, I'm fine with it, but I'm not going to talk to you about it. Yeah, like, you don't matter enough. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just not that important anymore. And that legendary divorce is such a bore because that was a huge part of his backstory. And, right. And it was because of him. Like he he's the one who brought it up so much it in was, these interviews. It, it was his uh, parents being murdered in Crime Alley. Yeah, if he was Batman, it's yeah, his Batman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, but as opposed to going and learning martial arts and spending all of his time to become a big buff crime fighter, he just got super sad and played guitar. Right, right. Yeah, he just he, uh, he went the other way, kind of turned inward, which yeah. they said is, is also what his dad did after the divorce. Uh, so he was kind of mirroring his dad's behavior. Are the parents still with us? I think. I think so. the mom is. I don't know if the dad. Yeah, I don't not. know. Yeah. They're still both alive in this book, but that, again, was 16 years ago. Mm. The mom, on the other hand, after the divorce, did that thing where she started, uh, she, she basically uh, turned into a dude and just started fucking everyone in sight. Look, small town, small town rules, man. And this actually happened to a cousin of mine. His mom did the same thing. Oh, she I thought, thought <laughs> cousin of yours hooked up with Iris. Is oh, no, 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 yeah. no. Uh, my cousin, his, or my aunt, I guess, uh, she got divorced, and her and my cousin both worked in the same place, and she just started fucking everyone she worked with, and these dudes would come back and make fun of my cousin over it, and he ended up having to quit his job because oh he was getting bullied over the fact that his coworkers were fucking his mom, and the oh same thing, God. the same thing, kind of happens to oh Kurt Cobain. My God. Where they're in this shitty small town, and his mom just goes on a tear and starts like banging twenty-two-year-olds. Uh, at one point, he's living with his mom and a twenty-two-year-old dude when he's oh, fifteen. Come on! So he he had a weird childhood. It's like that bad joke book joke. Your mom's like an orange. When she's peeled, everybody gets a piece. <laughs> oh, it's exactly like that. Except also someone who could have been your peer and friend is now your kind of semi-stand-in stepdad. Right. Weird. Right. Yeah, he. if if you read interviews, he had a, a lot of issues with jocks. Like he... Right. He, all, he referenced that... The dad was super into sports. The dad was way into sports. He was like a coach, right? He was... That's actually why the divorce happened. The dad... <laughs> Spent so much time playing sports and coaching youth sports leagues that he was just gone all the time. Look, once you start making that Aberdeen sports money, you can't <laughs> exactly. Just, you can't just yeah. go back to being a it's family in the man. Pros now, yeah. Wendy. Yeah, jeez. What do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's why they got divorced. And you can. 
there are a lot of male figures, which every, if any of this is interesting to anyone at all, go read Heavier Than Heaven because there, we're literally just glossing over a lot of this. But there's a lot of male figures in his life that to hear them described, you can see why he developed kind of a distaste for jocks. But he also, but he also played sports. He because he wanted to be high school because he wanted was, to bond with his dad. Come on, yeah. dad, like me. I mean, look, I know I felt that growing up. Come on, dad, just yeah. just no. Because I did the same thing. I was not great at sports, but I came from a sports family. My grandfather was a legendary coach back in Georgia. Has an award still named after him that they hand out every year. Nice. Uh, my dad was a coach, so I was like, well. I guess I'm supposed to play sports. You know, yeah. like I don't want to be the guy who screws up the family tradition. Yeah. And then it was like, I hate this. I absolutely don't like this. It's not something that I'm good at. It's something that I guess if I worked really, 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 really hard at, I could be right. mediocre at. And I don't want to work that hard to be mediocre. Yeah. I played sports through like my freshman year in high school and then started fucking girls, man. Yeah. Same thing. It was enough. Well, yeah. I, mean, I waited till about junior year. Yeah. 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 And then I also started doing theater, and I was like, oh, it's air-conditioned, and the girls like you? <laughs> this is great. Let's do this. So uh, there is there's a... Oh, also, I should point out, around the same time as the, the divorce happens, his stomach pain starts, which... So that's all stress-related, right? Yeah, which that that his stomach issues could probably be an entire episode, especially when you start getting into the conspiracy stuff, and right. whether he was really as depressed as they said he was. The burning pit of my... Stomach? Well, it's in the note. It's in the last thing. That yeah, he says. yeah, yeah. It's uh, but but that's also why he was supposed to be so painfully thin because it was so hard for him to eat, right? Right. Gave and all... I think they event, but they eventually diagnosed it as like a pinched nerve in his stomach. Something. It was like in his back, oh. but in the general area of his stomach. As someone so with it... back issue, I will tell you, you pinch a nerve back there, and it it goes where it wants to. Yeah, it goes where yeah. It usually, yeah. So so this uh, all the stomach stuff starts around then. But there was one good thing. His uncle Chuck, who was a professional musician, an Irish tenor, his uncle Chuck uh, makes a deal with him on his 14th birthday. Mm-hmm. He says, you can have an electric guitar or a BMX bike. Ooh. And what that, does he pick? What does he pick? Exactly. <laughs> but that got me and you to thinking about alternative history. Kurt Cobain, BMX icon. <laughs> I would love, like, what a fucking weird story. Can you story. imagine yeah. what BMX would be if Kurt Cobain was still around, Dude, man? look, he, the way he would ride a ramp, like, he just, it was the <laughs> same way I felt. Like, I could watch him do it, and you could see, like, that's how I, Dad, that's me, I would say, <laughs> as he would do a wheelie. <laughs> oh, good choice, Kurt. We are glad you bought the guitar. Uh, So... Uh, in March 1982, Kurt finally moves out of whatever house he was living in because he went back and forth between his mom and dad. And over the course of the next four years, lives in 10 different houses with 10 different families. Jesus, that's like being a foster kid at that point. Yeah, I was, by the time I was 19, my family moved 21 times. What, were you in the army? No, we weren't in the military. We were just poor. And my mom was shitty with money, and we got evicted a lot. Oh, my God. And it's it's a, it, it's not a good thing. Like, a, a kid at any age needs some sense of stability. Right. Or some kind of foundation. And it's the, the things it can do, I think, in terms of 
just what it does to your psyche. And yeah, because nothing feels like home. Nothing right. feels like a, a solid thing to build anything. Yeah, like. you you always kind of feel like a guest. And, and you also are like, well, when are we going to have to run? When right, are we going to have right. to pick up and, and bolt in the night? Right. And one of the things that's really struck me reading this book again, because like I said, it's it's uh, almost 20 years old, 16 years old. I, I get now why I connected with Kurt Cobain as much as I did. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I like reading this book back then, like none of this really struck me like i didn't get that part like i i didn't read the part about him living in 10 different houses it for some reason didn't register with me that yeah that was kind of me too and it uh like it really shed some light on why his music connected with me the way it did i would argue that a even at 27 kurt may not have made those connections yet yeah that's that's kind of the thing is kurt cobain seems like Someone who just didn't live long enough to deal with his issues. Right. Like, if he had another five years, he probably would have been fine. Because at some point, you hit your 30s and, you know... You start to... Yeah, things things make more sense. Or you go, that's why I'm like this. Oh, that's what made me... Right. Yeah. And he just never really hit that point in his development. And I'm going to also make the argument not to continue to shit on the lady, but uh, maybe if you had a better wife than someone who was more interested in her own fame, yeah, you might have had, or or just any kind of partner like that, that was more interested in like, why are you hurting? Right. Not like, how is your pain make me famous? Right. I, I read an interview with Courtney Love once and they asked her what one thing she thought could have saved Kurt Cobain. And she gave the weirdest answer. She said uh, something like, if he had learned to embrace luxury. What? Because if you look at like videos of their house and shit, like they did kind of live like, like he obviously didn't give a shit about being rich. Right. But I always, yeah, I always thought that was a really weird answer. That that's if he had her answer. Yeah. That's not his answer. Well, yeah, that's true. Because yeah. especially if she killed him, like that's <laughs> literally her answer. Like if he did just embrace money more, I wouldn't right. have had to murder yeah, him. Yeah, had to. Yeah, but also too, I just the lady wrote an album about celebrity skin. You know, like yeah. your idea of making it and being happy is showing other people, look what I have. Right, and that didn't seem like to be anything Kurt had in him. At least not from when we yeah. got to know him. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've always thought that was a super weird answer so we should uh let's let's get through the last part of this there was one thing that was really interesting going back to the divorce thing what was the thing he wrote on the on the wall he like wrote on the wall oh i hate mom i hate dad 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 hates hates mom 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 hates dad it all makes you want to be simply so sad jesus yeah and that was like a little kid kurt yeah that was young kurt that was i need to put this somewhere maybe i'll i mean think about being a preteen and writing that on the wall. You know someone's going to see it. Right. It's a cry for help. It's a cry for oh, yeah, absolutely. notice that I hurt too. Well, around the same time he is when he started telling friends, which, holy shit, we just talked about him planning things. Uh, he told a friend named oh John, God. Yeah, this. John Fields who suggested that Kurt should be an artist. Uh, Kurt said, no, I'm going to be a superstar musician, kill myself, and go out in a flame of glory. But then he also added, I want to be rich and famous and kill myself like Jimi Hendrix, which, check your facts, Kurt. Yeah. Hendrix. Hendrix wasn't that rich. (laughs) (laughs) He was a working man. You know, he he did all right. He also, this is a thing I had completely forgotten. 
But when he was in eighth grade, he discovered the body of a schoolmate who had hung himself in a local park. He was walking to school with two he other friends. He drew something like that in one of his journals. Oh, really? There's a, a like a guy, you know, I mean, you Hang. don't just draw somebody hanging by a noose right. for the hell of it, you know. I think that stuck with him a bit. Yeah, he had he had a lot of exposure to suicide in general. There's there's a myth <sighs> that like he had three uncles who ki- all killed themselves, which isn't completely true. They cover that in the Soaked in Bleach documentary. He had he did have one uncle who stabbed himself in the stomach in front of his family in an attempt to kill himself. <sighs> it didn't work, uh, <laughs> but they took him to the hospital. And while the doctors weren't looking, he tore his stomach wound open. Oh my! God. And died that way. Honey, kids, come in here. <laughs> That's how I feel about this. <laughs> there was a but then. Oh, good old Uncle Stabby. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Stabby, we miss you. God damn! So uh, there must have been something going on in the Cobain gene pool of just kind of a certain amount of. That's yeah. That yeah. that was actually one of his quotes. Also, was I have suicide genes? Sure. <laughs> Which probably Man. now is just like a brand, right? In Beverly Hills, right? Or four hundred and fifty dollars a pair. I think they sell them at Urban Outfitters too. <laughs> if you, it's a knockoff. Travis, what was your first concert? My first concert. Man, I think it was Eleven uh, Rockets. Oh, yeah. I think. It's not bad. It's not bad, but it wasn't like by choice. It was like someone was going and they took me. Uh, I didn't know anything about them. Mine was Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. That's a good one. At Six Flags. I was in. <laughs> what? <laughs> Listen, I was in kindergarten at the time and I fucking loved Joan Jett. Uh, so she was going to be at Six Flags in St. Louis. And so my parents drove us to St. Louis and we got to fucking rock at Six Flags all day, which is a huge amusement park. And then see Joan Jett at the end of the night, and it was one of the best days of my life. I saw a concert at Six Flags <laughs> once. It was not that cool, though. Oh, yeah? Striper. To well, that's... hell with the devil. Well, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh. He's already there, Striper. Yeah. Here was the problem. Uh, I got invited to go to Six Flags with some friends of mine, and I was like, that sounds cool. And then when I got there, I went, oh, this is a church outing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they were trying to indoctrinate, indoctrinate me. And uh, did it work? Did not work because I went. Striper's terrible. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> They're such a bad band. <laughs> it's so awful. The Killer Bees. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't realize they were called Striper because they wore yellow and black all the time. Yes, <laughs> Yellow and Black Attack is one of their albums. <laughs> that sounds like the fucking Pittsburgh Steelers offense. <laughs> Some year when they win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Pittsburgh is the only city that I know of that all the sports teams have the same colors. Yeah. Everything yeah. is yellow and black in Pittsburgh. And my theory was, since I lived in Pittsburgh for a while, it's because the people there don't give them a lot of options. Just let them know that's who you're rooting for. You right. see those colors, that's who you want. Yeah. Also, fries on your sandwiches. Yeah. Also, Striper might have been from Pittsburgh. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> So the reason I brought up first concerts... Oh, he has an interesting one and and, and a myth one, right? Yeah. yeah. He, his, uh, if you read interviews with Kurt Cobain, he often claimed his first concert was Black Flag. Sure. Very, which, very on brand. Yeah, very on brand. <laughs> uh, a little less on brand, his actual first concert, Sammy Hagar with Quarter Flash. What? Yeah. And that would have been like, I can't drive 55 The era. Red Rocker? <laughs> He of Van Hagar fame. He of, uh, uh, I don't know if you know this about him, uh, 
in it's like beyond wealthy outside of music. Yeah. Because of the uh, sprinkler system that he invented with his brother for apartment buildings. What? You know how like in office buildings there's those sprinkler systems that go off when there's a fire? Yeah. Those that's probably a, a fucking Hagar right there. <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Little, now, well, now I just want to talk about Sammy Hagar. For the <laughs> yeah, rest of this that's podcast. our other podcast we're yeah. starting. Yeah. So, so yeah, this uh, Kurt Cobain sees his first concert, March. And he's like, I could do better than this. What yeah. the fuck, guy? Yeah. And uh, not long after that, though, the same year, he, for the first time, met Buzz Osborne of the Melvins. Have you ever met Buzz Osborne of the Melvins? I have not, but I do love the Melvins. I love the Melvins, too. And I was really excited when I, when I encountered Buzz Osborne in the wild. Uh-oh. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go tell this guy how much I love him. And uh, he didn't. He didn't care for it. <laughs> oh, he, yeah. uh, but to to to, uh, it was at a place called the Daily Grill, which is a very yuppie chow kind of place. I think. Uh, I think he was hoping he could hide in plain sight there, and that some twenty year old oh, kid sure. wouldn't be like, "I know you." And instead, I think there was a lot of like, "Oh, I shouldn't be here." Well, he shouldn't have that hair, right? If he doesn't want people to recognize yeah. him. I mean, that was how I was like, "Oh, that guy's got hair like Buzz Osborne." That's Buzz Osborne. You yeah, know, like it was. That's always my argument when people get mad, uh, like when people in Colorado get pissed about people flocking to live in Colorado now that there's free weed or legal weed. It's like, don't have cool shit in your state if you don't want people to come. Right. Like you're drawing that attention yourself. Like, Especially if it's free. <laughs> yeah. If they had free weed, I, this podcast would be hosted in Denver. We'd be the United State. And maybe, <laughs> it would just be one people in one area. And maybe I'd finally get paid for that show I did there in October, Voodoo Comedy. Yeah, come on, Voodoo Comedy. Jesus Christ, give me my $126. Yeah, or at least some free weed. Yeah, yeah, something I, like I mean, that. I think it's illegal to mail that, though. Yeah, kind of. Crossing state lines gets into weird. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, so that meeting, him meeting the Melvins, is it true that he becomes their roadie, or is that part of the myth? I, th- I, I don't know that the Melvins needed a roadie. I think I that's think what Buzz said. A right, he dude was just the, that yeah. hung around. But Buzz Osborne starts sharing all of these punk rock tapes with Kurt Cobain. And he starts becoming pen pals with Dale Crover, the, uh, the drummer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So th- this is another uh, really, really pivotal point in Kurt Cobain's development. And it's also where we're going to stop this episode uh. because uh, we would have. Uh, th- that'll probably be the next history type episode. We'll talk about his Kurt Cobain's early bands and up through fecal rec- matter and all that stuff. Yeah, the yeah. fecal matter demo, which yeah. is a really famous thing. Which they've mostly released all of that now, haven't they? I'm sure Courtney has. I mean, I'm sure they have. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Have you ever heard it? Like, it's not. It's not. You know what's interesting is I was uh, going through. I've been listening to Nirvana a lot more since we started right, doing yeah. this, just to be more uh, present with the material. And uh, when you hear the demo stuff, kind of a lot like his childhood. It's the building blocks. It's really. Right. It becomes more about. It's he, Kurt had great ideas, but needed someone to produce them. I right. Feel. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. It, 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 the 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 more I hear. Just him stuff. The more you hear, I see why someone would want to work with that and develop it. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. So we'll we'll get into all of that stuff on the next episode. This was fun though. Yeah, man. What interesting uh, stuff. Yeah. There's uh, and and again the there's a few different books if people really want to dig into Kurt Cobain's life. Heavier than Heaven is a good one. There's another biography that came out a few years before that called Come as You Are by Michael Azarad that 
is also good, but it, it's got a lot of that myth, myth, yeah, myth building in it that goes on <laughs> the book of Kurt. Fact checked, <laughs> sure, yeah. So that that one's a little more sensational, and we didn't really get into it here, but I think we'll get into it in the future. There is also a a, a book of basically his scanned journal pages, right? Uh, Which was really controversial when it came out. Yeah, I can they, understand why. Like, it's personal stuff. Yeah, I can understand why. They literally published his journals. Right. But what's great about it is that on the cover, it says, if you read, you'll judge. It says yeah, that on the yeah. cover of one of it. And they put that on the cover of the book if you take off the dust jacket. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of interesting to, to yeah, see the, the, the truth behind the myth a little bit. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so uh, next episode, we're we're talking about the... 15 to 20 best obscure Nirvana sure. songs, however many we get through. Or the ones that are, you know, not necessarily the greatest hits, you know, right, like, right. not necessarily deep un- cuts. Yeah, the deep cuts. Yeah, if you just like Smells Like Teen Spirit, these are all going to be new. Yeah. Yeah. You should, I, we should probably do another episode before that for right. you and yeah. then this one, but <laughs> it's fine. Uh, do you have anything to plug before we get out um, of here? I will still probably be in Las Vegas uh, most of uh, June 19th through the 25th. Nice. Two shows a night at the uh, Tropicana Laugh Factory. Very nice. Uh, Subscribe to uh, our other podcasts on Patreon. $5 a month. Can't beat that with a bat, goddammit. You could, but you'd probably have to spend five bucks on a bat, so just put the money into Patreon. We do uh, 10 episodes a week, 12 and a half cents per episode. Uh, it's uh for the price of a cup of coffee. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. So uh, subscribe to our other podcast. Give this podcast good ratings and reviews on iTunes. Mm-hmm. We need that for sure. I would love it if you could give us five hearts, but we'll take five stars. Yeah, we'll take five stars. And like we said, just talk about how great we are. Uh, how how great of 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 a. a Duo, thank God. We these these two. Yeah, you know, I think something oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. If you could start every review with "Thank God these two, and then the rest <laughs> is for you, that you can figure out what to do yeah. from there. Just that that intro. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think that's it. Follow us on uh, on on Twitter at unpops unpops podcast on Instagram, all those things, all the socials. Yeah, fi- yeah. Find us on the socials. We're there. You'll you'll see us. Yeah, we're there retweeting each other. <laughs> you'll see us. All right. This was fun. It was fun. Let's get out of here. Travis, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.